Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Messianic Jews. My name is Eric, and today I will be responding to a small segment from Rabbi Michael Skoback's video, Did Paul Invent Christianity? In this video, Rabbi Skoback's main point is that Jesus was a good Jewish teacher who taught Torah, whereas Paul taught that Jews no longer have to keep Torah and that Christians replace Jews as God's chosen people. If those topics interest you, be sure to subscribe to be updated when new videos come out. Those are two major topics that will repeatedly be discussed on this show. My next video will be addressing whether there is evidence Paul taught against Jewish Torah observance in Acts 21, which is a claim that Rabbi Skobak makes. But today, I want to address what was a minor point in this particular presentation by Rabbi Skobak, but is an important objection we need to consider because it has significant implications. So first, here is the clip of Rabbi Skobak. Now we should repeat that Jesus never met, I'm sorry, that Paul never met Jesus and Jesus never met Paul for that matter. Let's be clear about this. When you read the writings of Paul, if you read his writings, he never mentions Jesus' place of birth. He never mentions anything about Jesus' parents or his family or his close associates. We know, for example, that Jesus was very closely associated and might have been a student of John the Baptizer. Paul doesn't mention John. He doesn't mention anything about where Jesus lived, where he moved to, where he was located. He doesn't refer to any of Jesus' alleged miracles. When you read the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, that's one of the main themes of the Gospels, are the walking on water and healing people and producing meals out of a little loaf of bread. It's going on every Monday in Dunnerstick, all over the, the, the Gospels. You've got these miracles of Jesus. Paul doesn't cite one miracle. He doesn't relate any of Jesus' teachings. You have famous teachings of Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount, all the parables of Jesus, all the things Jesus taught. Paul never cites any of them. There's no mention of Jesus' trial. So not only do you have a person who never met Jesus, you have a person in all of his writings, and again, he might have written between 7 and 13 books in the Christian Bible, he doesn't mention literally anything about Jesus whatsoever. He does teach a lot about how he viewed Jesus. How he viewed the significance of Jesus' crucifixion and Jesus' alleged resurrection. So the important thing to understand is that in the writings of Paul, what you are not finding is the religion of Jesus. It's not anything about what Jesus taught. It's a religion about Jesus. That's what you're getting from Paul. Nothing really that tells you who Jesus was, what he taught, what his values were, what he was encouraging people to do. It's basically from Paul, Paul's ideas, Paul's insights into how he understood Jesus, specifically what the death of Jesus might have meant and his alleged resurrection. That's all you really get from Paul. So Rabbi Skobak makes some very absolute claims in this clip. He says Paul doesn't give us any information 
regarding who Jesus was, what he taught, what his values were, and what he was encouraging people to do. And that Paul doesn't mention literally anything about Jesus whatsoever. By this, Rabbi Skobak does not mean that Paul never talked about his theological conception of Jesus, but that Paul never mentions anything about the life of Jesus or what Jesus taught during his ministry. As silly as this may sound to some of you, there are scholars out there who make the case for this. You can find these scholars, along with the ones who make the case I am making today, that Paul did know and share about the life and teachings of Jesus in his letters in the bibliography in the description. So if Rabbi Skobak is right that Paul doesn't mention any of these things, it can cast doubt on whether Paul knew about any of these things. What if a significant portion of the New Testament was written by someone who knew nothing about the Messiah's life or his teachings? That could be a really big problem. While Rabbi Skobak is wrong about whether Paul mentioned literally anything about Jesus whatsoever, he is right that Paul does teach a lot about how he viewed Jesus and how he viewed the significance of Jesus' crucifixion and Jesus' alleged resurrection. So got to give Rabbi Skobak some credit there. And Rabbi Skobak is also right that Paul never mentions anything about Yeshua's place of birth, where he lived, moved to, or was located, and that Paul never mentioned anything about John the Baptist or about Jesus' miracles. So again, credit to Rabbi Skobak for noticing those things. So then the question is, is this a problem? I do not think so for three significant reasons. First, Paul was not writing biographies about the life of Jesus. Paul was writing letters that were addressed to specific congregations at specific times to help solve specific problems. We should not expect Paul to just do a brain dump of everything he knew about Jesus in every letter that he wrote. Second, we know that he traveled back and forth from these places, wrote to them multiple times, and sent messengers with these letters who would be able to elaborate and clarify the contents of the letter. These letters are snapshots of an ongoing dialogue between Paul and these congregations who both have knowledge of scripture, of Jesus, and the teachings of the apostles. Let's not set an unreasonable expectation on what kind of information and how much information these letters should provide. Point number three, Paul was writing to congregations of people who already believed in and were already aware of who Jesus was and his teachings. They would already be hearing stories all the time about Yeshua's life and miracles. Paul did not have to tell Jesus' followers much about Jesus in these letters. Really, we should not expect much biographical information about Jesus at all in Paul's letters, especially because space on manuscripts was limited and Paul had to make sure he was addressing the immediate problems plaguing these congregations. We especially shouldn't worry about it when we notice, as Dr. W.A. Strange points out, that the book of Acts, which is written by the author of the Gospel of Luke, doesn't mention much about Jesus' life and teachings either. And we know that Luke definitely knew a lot about Jesus' life and teachings. So whenever we do find biographical information about Jesus in Paul's letters, it's really all a nice bonus. And as we will see, we do find some biographical information about Jesus, and we certainly find references to Jesus' teachings in Paul's letters. All right, so let's jump into it. Is it true that Paul doesn't mention literally anything about Jesus whatsoever, as Rabbi Michael Skobak claims? First, Paul does mention that Jesus was a Jew. Romans 1.3 says, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. 
And Romans 9.5 says, They are Israelites, to them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, the Messiah. So, Rabbi Skobek is already wrong. Paul mentions that Jesus was a living Jew from the house of David. Alright, so maybe that's not much, but it is literally something, which is enough to challenge Rabbi Skobek's dramatic claim that he makes in his video. So really, in regards to responding to Rabbi Skobek, our job here is done. But it's worth asking, do we have any more? Is this all Paul knew about Jesus? Alright, well, no. Paul definitely, Paul definitely shares that he knew quite a bit more. So next, let's talk about how Paul also mentions that Jesus was flogged. In Galatians 6.17, Paul says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And of course, Paul mentions Jesus was crucified. As Skobek also mentions, but he doesn't seem to count that as knowledge of Jesus' life. But in Philippians 2.8, Paul says, He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Rabbi Skobek was also wrong to claim that Paul never mentions anything about Jesus' family. Paul mentions that Jesus had brothers. As we see in Matthew 13.55, we learn that Jesus has multiple brothers. It says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And then in Galatians 1.19, Paul mentions James. He says, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then in 1 Corinthians 9.5, Paul mentions other siblings. He says, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles? and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Alright, so next, Rabbi Skobak was wrong to claim that Paul never mentions anything about Jesus' close associates. So, returning to Galatians 1, 18 and 19, Paul mentions how he met with Peter and James. He said, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And so, presumably, Paul learned a couple of things about James and Peter during this two-week meetup he had with them. And later, in Galatians 2.8, Paul acknowledges his awareness that Peter was sent to share the gospel to the Jewish people. Paul says, Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Then, remember, in 1 Corinthians 9.5, Paul also mentions that the apostles, James, and Peter had wives who followed Yeshua. Also, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, Paul mentions how the disciples believed Yeshua appeared to them after his death. And so verse 3 starts with this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Alright, so first let's pause here, take a side note. I just want to say that this formulation shows that this passage is a tradition predating the letter to the Corinthians. Orthodox Jewish scholar Dr. Pincus Lapid said that Paul, in this oldest faith statement about the resurrection, does not pass on his own thoughts, but indeed delivers what he himself has received from the first witnesses. So according to Dr. Lapid, this statement that Paul makes is an indication that it's a tradition that Paul received from others, from the first witnesses like James, like Peter. And in fact, most scholars think that uh, the meeting he had with James and Peter in Galatians 1 is where he received this 1 Corinthians 15 tradition. 
And so just remember this because this concept will come up again later. All right, so returning to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So here's Paul relaying an early tradition that mentions Peter, James, the disciples, and hundreds of other followers of Jesus who believed Jesus appeared to them as the risen Messiah. Therefore, Paul certainly mentions things about Jesus's close associates. All right, so that was the stuff that really was just low-hanging fruit. If you just casually read through Paul's letters, these aren't that hard to find. Admittedly, detecting where Paul is mentioning the teachings of Jesus is not always quite as obvious. As I mentioned earlier, Paul very rarely cites Jesus. There are a couple explanations for this. One is that Jesus' teachings were not yet solidified in written form yet, because remember, Paul's letters were written before the Gospels. So there was no standard text to quote. Dr. James Dunn says this, The Jesus tradition was not yet set in fixed and unyielding forms. Rather, it was a living tradition, a tradition which was evidently adaptable to different needs and diverse contexts. Another is that direct and extensive quotation was not deemed as necessary back then. The ancient world was an oral culture. News and knowledge were spread by word of mouth. They were really good at communicating through spoken language. This has implications for how they wrote. When written texts were produced by authors in these oral-based cultures, the written works assumed the audience had a vast background knowledge on the subject being discussed. This is unlike today, where I was often taught to write assuming that the reader knows nothing about the subject that I'm writing about. These authors in the ancient world wrote assuming the reader knew a lot about the subject and could pick up on subtle verbal cues. This is what some scholars call traditional referentiality. About this, Dr. J.M. Foley, he says, traditional referentiality enables an extremely economical transaction of meaning with the modest concrete part standing for a more complex whole. Okay, that may sound complicated, but I think me sharing an example will make that pretty clear. So an example of this in Paul, but not concerning Jesus's teachings, would be Romans 3, 29 through 30. Paul says this, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. God is one is an echo of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Paul and many other Jewish authors during the Second Temple period, like Philo and Josephus, frequently abbreviated the Shema to simply God is one in their writings because they knew their readers would recognize the verbal cue, automatically fill in the rest of the prayer in their mind, and know the context within Deuteronomy of the prayer. So when we read Paul, if we can find some words, phrases, or concepts that cohere with the unique teachings of Jesus, we can consider those allusions or echoes of Jesus's teachings, just like Romans 3.31 is an allusion to the Shema. The difference between an allusion and an echo depends on whether we can discern the intent of the author to bring attention to something specific, 
If we can determine the author is intentionally drawing our attention, it is an illusion. It is often difficult to be able to tell whether something is an illusion or an echo, but either way, it does the job of showing that Paul is familiar with Jesus's teachings if we're able to find either one. According to Dr. Seyun Kim in the Dictionary of Paul and His Letters, there are over 25 places where Paul, quote, certainly or probably makes reference or allusion to a saying of Jesus and over 40 possible echoes of a saying of Jesus, unquote. So I'm only going to quickly go over three of these in this episode, but I'll put a list of some others in the description below. You can find the citation to Dr. Kim's and other secondary sources I used for this video to study further on your own. All right, so Rabbi Skobek specifically points out the Sermon on the Mount and the parables of Jesus and claims Paul does not mention any of them. So I will make a brief case for the Sermon on the Mount, one parable, and then one other teaching of Jesus that Paul seems to clearly be aware of. And you can judge for yourself whether these qualify as genuine illusions or echoes. Starting with the Sermon on the Mount, it appears like Paul is at least echoing the Sermon on the Mount in Romans and 1 Corinthians. So to show this, I will be going back and forth between Matthew 5 and Paul's letters. So let's start with Matthew 5, 6, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then we jump to 1 Corinthians 4.11. Paul says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. Matthew 5.11-12 through 12 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in 1 Corinthians 4.12b through 13a, Paul says, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. So I hope you're catching the similarities between each one of these statements as I'm going through them. Uh, but I'll give you a couple more. So then Matthew 5.39 says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs of you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And then in Romans 12, 17-18, Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Then Matthew 5.44, this will be the last one. Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12.14 says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. So according to Dr. Sanyun Kim regarding this last one, he says, quote, There is a virtual consensus that Romans 12.14 echoes Matthew 5.44. So there you have it. I think these examples are sufficient in concluding that Paul was echoing Yeshua's Sermon on the Mount in Romans and 1 Corinthians. And so I think he does show a familiarity with the Sermon on the Mount. All right, so now for a couple of parables. In Matthew 24 and Luke 12, we have Jesus sharing a parable describing how no one knows the day or the hour of his coming. And one of these parables is the parable of the thief. Many scholars confidently see 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 7 as an allusion or echo to this parable. 
So let's start by reading 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-7. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So first, take note of Paul's phrase, like a thief in the night, and then read Matthew 24, 42 through 43, which says this, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, according to Kim, one of the reasons we can be very confident this is an echo of a teaching of Jesus is this. He says, It is widely recognized that verses 2 and 4 echo Jesus' parable of the thief, especially as the metaphor of thief is not applied to an eschatological context in the Old Testament and Jewish literature. So what this means is that it is highly unlikely that Paul would have been echoing any other source besides Jesus' teachings when using the imagery of a thief in the context of the end of days. So again, I think this is enough to show that Paul did mention a parable of Jesus. But I think there is one that is even more clear than these and could even be considered a direct quotation of Yeshua's teaching. And that is 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26 where Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Sound familiar? That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We find nearly the same words of Jesus in all of the Gospels. Here's an example from Luke 22:17 through 20 And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Because this is such a clear connection, some object to this by saying Paul made this up and then the Gospels later quoted Paul. But when Paul says, for I received from the Lord, it shows us this tradition was not created by Paul, but was passed on to him from a trusted source, just like 1 Corinthians 15. Dr. Paul Eddy and Dr. Gregory Boyd say in their book, The Jesus Legend, Paul introduces his material with standard Jewish terminology for receiving and handing over sacred tradition. This suggests that Paul was passing on material that had been passed to him by others. In this light, when Paul says he received from the Lord, this teaching, it seems most natural to take him to be referring to his conviction that this traditional material goes back to the Lord's own words and actions. 
And so on top of this, we know Paul was careful to distinguish between Yeshua's explicit teachings and his own teachings. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is giving instructions concerning marriage and makes some interesting qualifications. In verses 10 through 12, he says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Not only is verse 10 another place where some scholars recognize an allusion or echo of Jesus' teachings on divorce in the Gospels, but this shows that Paul was not comfortable putting words into Jesus' mouth. So for this reason, we can be confident that Paul is not just making things up when he says, I received from the Lord, to refer to these earlier traditions. As Dr. Eddy and Dr. Boy note, it is much more probable that both Paul and the Gospels were writing down what was a popular oral tradition going back to Jesus himself. So I hope by this point I have been able to show that Paul did in fact mention something about Jesus. But let me know what you think. Do you think Rabbi Skobek is right that Paul doesn't mention literally anything about Jesus whatsoever? Let me know in the comments below. Do you agree with me but disagree with some of the points I made? Let me know about those points as well. If you're on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell to receive updates when we post future videos. If you're listening on the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. Thank you again for joining me. I look forward to hearing from you.